Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the fourth season of Soundcheck. My name is Andrew Mullen, and as always, I'm joined by my awesome co-host, Michael Livingston. What's going on, y'all? I'm doing perfectly fine here. I'm excited for today's topic, and we also have our wonderful podcast editor here, Ben Ackley, who uh, I'm sure will be making chimes in throughout the episode. And yeah, makes this, this not will be Ben's terrible. first full season that he will produce hopefully yes. he will last yes, throughout is. the entire season. yes yeah, as absolutely. do i <laughs> yeah please last for this entire season ben we, we, we desperately we, need you yes you are an angel you are a guardian angel before we get into today's sphere. topic we want to talk about some more topical topics yes so um should be noted out first um that we um uh, th- we just got back over like a month-long winter break it was honestly too long it was ridiculous mm-hmm. and so obviously a lot of news events happened before in fact today's topic and uh in the thing we're about to talk about i've already kind of old news at this point um i still wanted to talk i think we both kind of wanted to talk about them mm-hmm. before it got any less you know timely but um i still think it's important to talk about the fact that neil pert uh recently passed away um how old was he i think he was 67 67 for those who don't know neil pert is the legendary drummer of progressive rock band rush yes one of the greatest acts of all time. Absolutely, um, I don't. I don't. I don't think people say it enough that they are easily the best rock trio mm-hmm. ever made, and yeah. easily one of the yeah one of the best bands ever. Like objectively, one of the best bands ever. They had one of the greatest runs in all of music, and honestly, most a large part of that was due to Neil Peart and mm-hmm. what he brought to that band. Absolutely, I think just to honor his memory in our own way, maybe we can all just share. Some quick stories real quick of maybe how we discovered Rush, a particular good Rush memory. Mm -hmm. Um, If you want me to start out, I I discovered Rush probably through all of us did. Probably our parents probably played a song Mm -hmm. to us. And for me, it was Subdivisions. That was my jam for about a year when I was in maybe seventh grade. And I would just play that song over and over and over again. And it was nailed into my head that no matter... How many bands I listen to, Neil Peart will always be the greatest drummer of all time. My mom told me that. My dad told me that. And, uh, you know, you see Rush's influence everywhere, and you see that sort of mantra of Neil Peart being such a legendary performer appear in pop culture all over the place. I just watched a clip today of, like, a um, an Adult Swim show kind of having Neil Peart, his animated character, bring back a character of the show to life through a drum sh- solo and it's like you know you see you'll see stuff like that and it's like you 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 get reminded that neil pert it is truly mm-hmm. everything that people s- say he is you know yeah um i so when i was younger i was really into the jack black movie school of rock that's like of course a very very big part of my life also a little overrated but please continue <laughs> thank you for consecrating the memory of neil pert by <laughs> i'm talking about stool of rock not goddamn rush dude. well it relates in that uh 2112 is mentioned in that and when i decided to start buying records one of the first records i got was 2112 and much like jethro tull's aqualung it blew me away and put me into my middle school progressive rock phase so i wouldn't really be into the same music I'm into now. Even though I have shied away from Rush in recent years, they're always a band I can go back to. And without Rush, and especially Neil Peart, in being such an important part of that band, I wouldn't be the person I was today. So 
Um, I, I can't really say how I first discovered Rush. Honestly, and actually this is uh, relate to today's main topic later, but I think it was my, my mom that kind of pushed me to it. I uh, know she wasn't, she's not like a huge Rush fan or anything, but you mean she likes I mean, she likes the greatest hits. She, mm-hmm. she had that CD, that those cassette tapes when she was younger. And so I, I, I think um, I was kind of, I guess, more curious to check it out. I mean, and then I probably just hearing from everyone like how like, amazing they are, you know, especially the, the fantastic talent of Neil Peart. Mm-hmm. Um, all, I mean, it's just probably something that I kind of just kind of looked into my own. My, my, my dad, like, he, he thinks, he, I mean, he thinks the greatest rock trio ever is ZZ Top. And quite frankly, ZZ Top yeah. is fine, but. To compare, even compare him to Rush, I think is ridiculous. It's night and day. Yeah. I mean, I mean, really, I mean, the amount of talent in that band is just insane. And again, Neil Peart really was the one that kind of made them go through that progressive rock direction. He's the one that kind of pushed for that because before, when they started off with their first record, um, just a, a self-titled one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's it's a good record. You but, compared it to like just Canadian Led. Zeppelin. I mean, that's really what it was. I yeah. mean, they were they were almost I mean. Like, I mean, they they are kind of like Zeppelin five years too late mm-hmm. um, in Canada. And, I mean, when their first drummer left, and then you, you can almost immediately see the difference Neil Perp brought to when on Fly By Night. It wasn't quite a progressive rock band yet, but right. you had, you know, a lot of band, you had, you know, a lot of really long songs on there, specifically by Tour and the Snow Dog, which I presume is still a fan favorite to this day mm-hmm. of theirs. And kind of some growing pains and Caress of Steel to finally just nailing it on 2112. Like, Whoa. It really, he brought, he's the one who brought all kind of like talking about Lord of the Rings, talking about all yeah. these different themes and um, really bringing that kind of sound, that those ideas to Rush. And also real quick, and I'll let, then I'll let you talk, but mm-hmm. for me, like he's one of the few guys, of course, you've, I'm sure we've all seen like images with him and this crazy drum setup. It's just oh, like yeah. the size of a truck. Oh, yeah. And he's like one of the few guys I can think of who genuinely like warrants having that big of a drum. I saw kit. I saw a Hard Times uh, satire uh, satire piece that was like Neil Neil's uh, drum set being donated to every hu- uh, high school class in Canada. And it's like each high school will be able to get like a couple drums. I mean, that's how just big his drum kit yeah, is. Yeah, they, they probably wouldn't make the complete drum kit for each mm-hmm. one. Exactly. I mean, you really did warrant it. You know, see all these guys like I'm gonna put, see all these just try hard fucking overzealous drummers like I'm gonna get all these attachments here. I'm gonna mm-hmm. add like twenty the stack of twenty cymbals over here. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, guys, you're not Neil Peart. Stop it. Like, sure. He was not gold standards. Is is, is too low of an act. Know too low of a compliment from him. I think he's like the, the platinum standard for a lot of drummers sure. trying to match up to. So I mean, you can't even say he's just a drummer. You were talking about his lyricism too. Um, you know, some Rush lyrics hits better than others for me, mm-hmm. but you can't deny that a lot of his lyrics come from very inspired place. The man is very well read. First of all, he's. I watched an interview with him um, where his parents were even interviewed saying he would read excessively as a child, and he. You see him in interviews. He's you can tell he's a very intelligent man. He he likes to travel. He likes to experience the world. He likes to tell stories. He uh, he he, I, he even wrote a book, I believe, right? A couple books, maybe. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah he's mm-hmm. a very prolific man. Yeah. So I mean, Ben, anything else just to wrap it up? About yeah, I mean, I've always sort of took a mark of a band like this. Um, it, it's the same sort of thing with Led Zeppelin. Like, if a band can sing about Lord of the Rings especially before the movies existed or mm-hmm. even the cartoon existed and make it sound cool. 
then you know we have a winner they're mm-hmm. one of the most consistent bands ever they were a band that started in the 70s and were able to weather the transition to the 80s perfectly yeah like seamlessly like like when you like there that's something else to point out like too like when you like i know a lot of people kind of groan at some of the synthier stuff in the 80s but i think honestly they're probably the only ones who did the best like transitioning from the 70s to the 80s like you listen to yes ouch no they did not do it mm-hmm. very well but like I'll, I'll admit I, I i like force 10 i think is one of the most underrated singles i i think hold your fire is a really good album <laughs> which even though it's like there's hardly any guitar in that it's very synth heavy and i can see why it might turn some people off but honestly i think that i think that stuff really works for them mm-hmm. yeah they they were just a fantastic band and it it's upsetting to know that they're never going to do anything again because like even their most recent album there were some really good songs on it yeah Definitely. they've never really lost that touch and that is a in big part due to Neil Peart. Did Did you want to talk about some of the some of your favorite Rush tracks, Rush albums? Didn't we already do that? I don't know. Did you? Yeah, I said Subdivisions was kind of like okay. my jam. Well, what about you? Oh, um, Fly By Night was always my favorite. Really? Okay. Uh, my one is gonna raise maybe might raise a couple eyebrows, but you know what? I've always been particularly fond of Farewell to Kings, which yeah, I know I that one too. Huh? Which I know like some like when you said, I remember like all Rush lyrics are some Rush lyrics are better than others. I know you might grown at the, you know, the honeydew and melon line from from Xanadu, but um, Cygnus X1 uh, is honestly one of my favorite Rush tracks ever. I think it's just so good. and like, It's just, just does, this is really like kind of cheesy, but really well-told sci-fi story as well to it. And I just love how that bridges, like it essentially kind of, kind of ties that and Hemispheres together because Hemispheres starts off with the second act of that story. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, um, honestly, I'd love I, I love Farewell to Kings. Oh my God, I love most of the records too. So, I mean, if, if you're not listening to Rush, I don't know what the hell your deal is, to be honest. So, if you, I mean, and a lot of people are now because I don't know if you've seen the story. Something that is pretty recent. Um, I, I saw. I don't know. Like a lot of the, the streaming and the uh, album purchases have been spiking through the roof with, with Rush lately. Like everyone's just been going back and listening to Rush. And I think because they are one of the best bands ever and I think they reached a lot of people and I think they inspired a lot of people as well in honor of one of the greatest rock bands of all time one of the greatest drummers of all time uh, let's just have a quick moment of silence for Neil Peart anyways before we continue uh, let's uh, we got some stuff to plug in first anyways uh, we have a Twitter account uh, it's scheckofficial go follow that We'll try to be posting more frequently this semester. We should probably be working on that. Um, but, yeah. Um, anything else you want to plug in? Uh, my Twitter, Michael C. Live. You can follow that if you want. Uh, do you want to plug yours, too? Uh, yes, Andrew Mullen 4. Cool. It's so... <laughs> I think it was just the automatic one that Twitter gave me. I just never <laughs> bother changing it because I don't care. Hey. It right. does the job. People know, you know it's me. Weren't you born in... No, you were born in 98, right? Yes. Okay. So. If you were born in 94, that would have made sense. Yes, it's not, though. Okay. <laughs> it's just the thing that Twitter gave me. Anyways, we're, there's no reason to be talking about this for too long. Okay. <laughs> let's, uh, let's, let's keep going. Actually, we'll be sticking around in Canada for today's episode. Yeah. Today's a very Canadian episode. Nice we're talking tradition. about one of my favorite artists, and that might raise some eyebrows coming from me. But we are talking about the absolutely wonderful Alanis Morissette today. Yes. And this like has I said, been a long time coming. Really? <laughs> You've been wanting to do this episode I for mean, a very kind long of. time. It, it, 
so kind of in a joke manner, I've kind of wanted to do this because A, I never knew if you'd really like her that much. And B, to be honest, I mean, she is kind of out of our wheelhouse, out of, outside of our coverage zone. Definitely. She is definitely a stretch. And I, I, I will be asking this question later, but I mean, she's kind of looked as kind of like a pop artist almost by a lot of people. So that's why I was just kind of iffy on ever fully recommending this. However, something I didn't really realize until as of a few months ago, and honestly, it's not as timely now, unfortunately, since we had mm-hmm. to wait a month to record it. But the end of last year, she announced a huge tour in wake of her 25th anniversary of her seminal 1995 album, Jacked Little Pill. Um, she'll be touring with goddamn garbage and Liz Fair. Mm-hmm. Add a lot more set to that. My goodness. That, good lineup. It's, that's a, if you love 90s rock, that's an amazing lineup. So, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I probably won't be able to go because tickets or ticket prices are steep these yeah, days. It's yeah. bullshit. That's true. But either here or there, I still absolutely love I love a lot of her music. It is a good chunk of it. And I, I think she's kind of overlooked in the sense that people kind of view her as like a one album artist. Mm. And I don't think that's true. I think she has a lot more to offer than Jack a Little Pill. You definitely proved that to me as I did deep dives for this episode because I have never listened to any Alanis Morris. Which before. which was insane to me because if some of them, any, any anyone who's been listening to our podcast for a while now might remember me talking about her in our guilty pleasures episode that we did with our good friend Elio Stante. Uh, yeah, uh, in season two, I think. And I remember both me and Elio had were no like, clue who, who she the was. Fuck is that? Yeah, and, and then, which blew me, which blew me away. I know. And then we had people from the office, including you, uh, bashing us, being like, "How have you not heard of this Canadian Majesty, yeah. Alanis Morissette?" Yeah. And, yeah, it's, but it, it took it took about a year, but I have finally uh, uh, baptized myself with uh, baptized. With, with her discography. It's yeah. a interesting choice of words. Yeah, but um, but it's interesting to me, Andrew, how you got into this artist mm-hmm. and and why it ended up on your guilty pleasures list and all that stuff. So, to if if you allow me to just quickly interview you, oh, how boy. did you discover Alanis Morissette, and what does that music do for you exactly? So. Kind of call back to what we were talking about with Rush earlier. Mm-hmm. Actually, my mom was the reason why I discovered Alanis Morissette. Mm-hmm. I remember we were sitting at a dinner somewhere. This is really early in me, like, getting into music. And she – and we were talking at dinner or something. And we talked about my music. And my mom just kind of asked me a little snarkily, but I under, kind of understood it. Mm-hmm. Mom, I was listening off a lot of the bands I liked listening to. Yeah. And she's like, do you listen to any female artists? I'm like, mm. oh, yeah, I like Hailstorm, which I hate now. I can't stand <laughs> Hailstorm. Hailstorm. Uh, but that's, they have so much potential, is all I'm going to say. But but no, and she's like, you should listen to Alanis Morissette. That was the thing that she or she mentions. Like, you should mm-hmm. listen to her. And I was like, okay. So at the time, I was still kind of going through my dad's, like, digital library. And right. sure enough, there were about five or so Alanis tracks. I don't remember which ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they were all from Jagged Little Pill. And I was like, okay, I'll put this on my phone, and then I'll check it out later. And I probably, only a few days later, I was – probably some like sophomore freshman sophomore year of high school just yeah. for some context um i was riding the bus home and you know it's always to survive the hellscape of that i would listen to music of course and the first track from uh jack little pill all i really want came on and i was kind of blown away by it i mean mm-hmm. i by the end of it i was like what the hell did I just hear, and oh. why the hell do I love it so much? It was mm-hmm. just one of the most interesting-sounding things I'd heard. It's easily one of the most interesting-sounding things I've heard up to that point. And quite frankly, Jack Little Pill stands as one of the most unique albums I still love to this day. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I guess, though, because she I means I might not be technically a part of her quote-unquote target audience or 
or the person people kind of people you tend to like expect to love Alanis Morissette as much yeah. as I do. So that's why I kind of put it in that guilty pleasures episode all all those episodes ago because I mean it's just to say that she's one of my favorites is kind of might surprise some people being yeah. you know being the punk guy. So sure. No, I I definitely um I definitely can see why you would say that because when I. I, when I started listening to this, I, I did I, I didn't have the best impression, and then I called my parents. I called my mom, and I because at the time Jagged Little Pill came out, she was just graduating college, so like that's the that's the target audience, like mm-hmm. young female audience for Jagged Little Pill. Mm-hmm. And my mom said like, I hated it when it first came out. I wasn't a fan. Like she just sounded like she was whining the whole album. I didn't like it. It was not on par with what I was listening to, which was like more like. 80s alternative college rock stuff but then after she hangs up with me my dad overhears the conversation that she's talking about and he texts me right after and he says Alanis Morissette is one of the most influential female artists of all time and what your mom says is just completely completely false and I'm like uh okay so then he tells me about um kind of the whole post-grunge like the little feminist, scene yeah the whole kind of post-grunge feminist movement that she was kind of a prolific figure in and then i was trying then i started to look at her music through that lens and that opened it up a lot more for me yeah so yeah she, she was a young, like when jacket came out and she was such she was a young woman with a lot of frustrations to to expel out and i think that's kind of um something that you can definitely tell listening to that yeah. and but i can w- w- to what your mom said yeah like to some people that might have come across as like her being whiny and whatever mm-hmm. uh possibly I, I i don't like this is i don't like making these kind of theories because it is maybe possible far-reaching mm-hmm. i can also kind of see maybe sexism playing a role why people don't like her because mm-hmm. I'm not trying to. Comp- I'm not going to compare her to Greta Thunberg, but it's kind of that same topic. They someone sees a young woman, you know, making, you know, voicing a lot of frustrations that she has, possibly with the older generation, and mm-hmm. they kind of like turn away from that. Or like some people look, it's like, oh, she's just an angry young whiny girl. It's like, no, she's actually, a, she's actually a lot more dynamic with, with the, the emotions that she expresses throughout that record, yeah. and honestly, throughout her whole career. And I think she's. It's one of my favorite lyricists, especially going back and revisiting all the stuff. Definitely, a she great really lyricist. is. She's just a fantastic lyricist, and I think she really voices her. Yeah, I, that's a good. That, I well. like that uh, kind of seeing it through that lens, comparing it to Greta and stuff like that. Before, but before we go into Jagged Little Pill, since you're a little more well versed on this than I, um, maybe kind of debrief us on her <sighs> early career and how she transitioned into yeah. an album like so, Jagged Little Pill. Gotta play that song. You gotta play that song. Yeah, can I'll, we play I'll, that song? Well, I'm gonna pull it up. Uh, right now. Let's let's cue it up then, and just uh, give the audience a little taste. So, well, so first of all, J- Alanis Morissette, as I kind of mentioned earlier, for no one who might not know, there's like a, I have so many tabs of Alanis Morissette interviews <laughs> open right now. Like I, was I have like a least, lot of them this morning. She she yeah she she makes an interesting interviewee. I think mm-hmm. she at least I think so. But um, yeah, so she was born in uh, Ottawa, Canada, mm-hmm. and that's where she grew up and. Yeah, her career kind of started off as a child star. She'd be in like like Canadian game shows or TV mm-hmm. shows and stuff like that, um, and she used that money to finance her first EP, which she released when she was ten years old, and that's kind of how her career started. I mean, early on, she 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 liked writing, and early on, I think she knew she wanted to go more into music than acting. Definitely. Um, here, I have to bring this stuff up because it is important to talk about later. But what? 
she kind of started off as a child star. I mean, or at least it, like when she was, she, she got this big in Canada for her early music. Mm-hmm. I mean, she she was only like 16, 15, something right. like that. And so, how the hell she didn't end up like a, like other train wreck child stars like you know Lo- Lindsay Lohan, Justin Bieber, Britney Miley Spears. Cyrus. Yeah, yes. Yeah. You know, like how she ended up like that still amazes me because she had a not a normal time growing up i mean like mm. she there was this one interview uh, she was she was talking about like her early music career and she was like yeah when i was making that ep when i was like 10 12 years old i, I would be hanging around like older men and i kind of realized the power of sexuality mm-hmm. which is not something a normal 12 year old kind of realizes and she kind of began to understand that i mean she, she she talked about how she would often dress older and make herself look older than she actually was mm. and, yeah, when she started actually starting recording music, she would talk about like after she she would go home um, from from like high school, she would she'd have almost like two lives. She'd have the normal like trying to excel, get perfect days in you know, high school, trying to give herself like make herself look like you know like kind of like a perfect you know girl in that sense. And mm-hmm. on the other hand, she'd be going going over to recording studios, drinking whiskey with men twice her age when she was sixteen, up to like three four in the morning. It's and, an interesting life. And it is. Know. And what's really unfortunate, yeah, I mean, she started having relationships with these guys twice her age when she was 16. Mm. And it just, she did not have an exactly a normal upbringing. But honestly, I I have a theory why she probably didn't end up like a lot of those child stars and has something to do with Jagged. And I'll, I'll get back to that later. But, I mean, this was someone who was kind of growing up in that kind of environment. And it kind of led up to her first record, which was released in 1991, called Alanis, because she was just simply called Alanis. Mm. Michael, can you can you help me out here for a second, though? Okay. I don't know if you've... Uh, l- let's see. Uh, I'll actually pull up the album art for this, so you can <laughs> see You're this. just going to get my snap take on it? Uh, yes. Because cause when we listened to this track earlier, I, I saw a lot of YouTube comments being like, Wow, the '80s showed up in Canada in five the '90s. Years late. Yeah, yeah. So kind of like Rush was five years late on Led Zeppelin. Just look stuff. at this. Just look at this album cover. This it's at the top co- right there. Wow. That, so wow. But, uh, Michael, <laughs> Michael, can you can you help me here, for instance? Because we're, we're seeing look at someone that hair. Uh, with who's kind of has a seductive pose with these big hair. Mm-hmm. You know, just a single, just one first name as her entire name. Yeah. Like, I I can't Madonna think any artist that she's trying to copy any <laughs> Madonna artist that she can, can you can you help me can you help me Michael who, who uh, what, what does this remind you of uh, Tori Amos oh of course <laughs> of course of course <laughs> yeah, yeah no, I no, mean, it's yeah. straight Madonna yeah I mean, is Madonna Paul Abdul and like everyone at, that comment was correct I was when you look at that it's like I I just we're talking about Rush. I just I cannot believe how many actually like career parallels there are between Alanis and Rush because it's, it's uh, Rush true, yeah. was like Led Zeppelin in Canada five years too late. Alanis was like Madonna, Paul Abdul like eight years too late. Wow. It's like they're Canada gets all our trends really late. Mm-hmm. But what, what was great, they started off copying trends in America, but then uh, some sort of change happened with them, and then suddenly. They were making some really innovative or really unique sounding music, and they would have a really good change. But yeah, um, yeah, it, her first two records are just fucking terrible. They're they're <laughs> awful. Yeah. There's no way to put it. I mean, she was making like Paula Abdul sounding music. In fact, I'm gonna pull up one of the worst things I've ever listened to in my entire life. There's a reason why I don't go back revisiting this stuff because it's terrible. We're gonna listen to 
I think it might have been her first single. It was definitely one of the big singles off her first record. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see if this is hopefully going to pick up on our microphones here. So we're going to listen to a song called Too Hot. All right, that's enough of that bullshit. Um, it, it's, it's 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 just just awful. I mean, this this stuff is again, Paula. Pa- I mean, I played some of it before to play some of the song before you mm-hmm. this break, and yeah, it's just again, she was copying trends. She just did not sound good, and the fact that she would go on to make much better music later is just insane. Oh yeah, definitely. If anything, showing you that song, audience, mm-hmm. is going to show you a huge, huge step forward um, when mm-hmm. we actually show you the Alanis Morissette work. Um, which would you like to start talking about that right now? Um, or you got some well, she she also had another album. I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. Where is her Wikipedia page? <laughs> um, there it is. Now is the time, which is mm. slightly I, I, better. I, slightly better. Like some people actually say it's slightly worse because it's not as funny, like funny bad as yeah, as the first yeah. one is. Firstly, like it's more tolerable to me. But like, yeah, I, I would just like listening. Like even when I was listening to like the first Alanis record, mm-hmm. like. I wasn't even finding this so bad. It's good. I was just, just, just getting like, just so like, I was just in torment listening to it. Like, well, I mean, when you showed us that song, you, we got Ben over here laughing because Ben, Ben's into it. Hey. Which just, <laughs> oh, I can't believe it's just so bad. It, it's just not. It's not interesting because it's just copying old shit um, that, that that was happening mm-hmm. in, like in America like a few years prior. So, yeah, it's just insane that the stuff should go on to later and. Uh, although it did, I would argue, deeply, in, in a way, influence what she would do with Jackie and Onward. But, um, yeah, let's start going on there. Because she only had, like, a two-album deal with, I think, RCA. Yeah. Uh, I think that was the record label she started with. Or it was Geffen, one of the two. Well, maybe describe me. How does how does someone go from writing kind of the, this Madonna, Madonna copy work to going to something, writing so something so original as mm-hmm. Jagged Little Pill? Yes. Yeah, so... Uh, after that album deal, that two album deal went away after the two records. I mean, she started kind of feeling around, started, I think she might have moved to Los Angeles at one point. I've yes. heard. Yeah, she did uh, move, she did move to Los Angeles, to although it's nothing about that on Wikipedia, which I guess so much for Wikipedia. But mm-hmm. um, she, she kind of started trying to find another way to, I guess, write music. And she was trying to, I imagine, trying to get away from making that stuff. And she eventually met a guy named Glenn Ballard who would end up helping her write and produce Jack Little Pill. Mm. And that's, um, he was definitely one of the big instrument, from my understanding, one of the key ways she went on to do Jack Little Pill. Because he just said, hey, you know, all those frustrations, all that anger that you have inside you, all those different feelings you have, just write. Just yeah. write how you feel. Like, he, he didn't, like, put a cap on that. He wasn't trying to, definitely. like... Like make her write walk away, write too hot or yeah. real world. She wasn't trying to make her write all that shit that she had at the start. Mm-hmm. He he was the one who kind of let her spread her wings almost. You know that's a cliche. I no, I could definitely see that because you will definitely see a change in lyricism from here onward to the very end of her career. Just being 
Um, I mean, her career's still ongoing, but kind till, of, but yeah, but like still onwards. Um, mm-hmm. she'll she she ha- tackles songwriting in a different way, where it's kind of just like it's almost word vomit of feelings, and then arranging it. You know, in a way, I. Yeah, I think it's that's, putting that's your up. feelings on paper, and then you yeah, know. and I think she was like, exceptional at doing that. Um, from my understanding, though, it was very hard trying to get someone to actually find a label that would actually put this out. I yeah. mean, she, both she and Ballard have uh, have gone on to say, so, yeah, Ballard, they've gone on to say that yeah, like they they were essentially label shopping around, and, mm-hmm. like almost every label turned away Jack Little Pill, which is, I mean, considering the success it has, I was there, goddamn lost until they eventually settled on. Maverick Records, which I mean, you yeah. know, and by the way, you know who Maverick signed? By the way, uh, I I know this. I looked it up. Um, Madonna. Yes, but, yeah, which it is was, just, it's Madonna's label. Yeah, yeah, it is. So it's just the fact that, that happened, and then she was copying Madonna, and then going on to make something completely different on Madonna's label. I mean, that's just poetic. That's it, just it really poetry is. right there. It really is. It's just amazing to me. And um, critical success is an understatement, man. This, I mean, this I mean, album has what is it? Six top selling songs. Six top selling singles. Yeah. yeah. Um, you all know was the first single off this record, and it just essentially just exploded from there. Like six just amazing radio singles came from there. Mm-hmm. The whole record's great, by the way, too. Won a Grammy. Right? One, I think so, but mm-hmm. Grammys are useless, so True. I don't count True. that. And I, I don't like saying like commercial success is a way to actually define the quality of your music. I mean, the Eagles have one of the best selling albums of all time. The Eagles suck, so. You're gonna make me get up and go to that microphone. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> the Eagles are terrible. Anyways, but, but yes, there was there was some commercial success, oh, but you uh, but some, you would but uh, you would I mean a bunch of uh, commercial success, uh, but you would now, say artistically this album needs to be beholded as well. Oh, a- absolutely, and um, well, first of all, I just want to soft some of the numbers here because mm-hmm. it is it's still impressive to me. I mean, since um, obviously until now, I think it sold around thirty three copies worldwide. It's sixteen times platinum here in the United States. Thirty three copies? <laughs> you mean thirty three million million copies? copies? Yeah. <laughs> I've sold more than thirty three copies of something. <laughs> Congratulations! Thirty three million, million copies. Insane worldwide. amount. Yeah. It's just it's, it's a stupid amount. It's like double diamond or something. Mm-hmm. Like there's not a lot of albums that can really say they have those kind of numbers to it. Yeah. So, um, it really is something special. And yeah. Um, like when it comes to the music, yeah, it's absolutely fantastic. I mean, it's, it's one of those records where I just can't pick a weak song uh, off of it. I mean, what are some of your favorites? Just go just, ahead and listen. I mean, I mean, that's 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 too hard. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, uh, Forgiven. I know that was your. I still start with Forgiven. You know, you really like. Yes, Forgiven. I I loved the lyrical themes of Forgiven because absolutely. I I will get into some instrumentation when it mm-hmm. comes to some later tracks. But lyrically, this this song really stood out to me because uh, Alanis was also raised um, Catholic, and and you'll see some religious um, themes come up in her music. Not promoting religious, but actually critiquing it. And in this case, yes. strongly critiquing the fact that in modern Catholicism. Uh, the concept of sexuality is very repressed, especially in young women. And and the fact that she engages that with so much courage is really outstanding to it, me. It um, is just a truly great song. Yeah. The, the, the hook and the core. I mean, the, the hooks in this record. I mean, you, you'll, I feel, I'll have this record just stuck in my head for days. Even even a song like Ironic, which we both we all agree is kind of like we would agree is one of the weaker put, ones, let's, even though let's it's put a pin ironic. I do. I think ironic okay. had to, there's his own discussion. I mean, OK. All right. Back all right. Back to that, but I mean, yeah, I mean, you learn is also a great single as well. Um, I've always loved Mary Jane, the storytelling aspect of it. And yes, the chorus is just huge and fantastic. Wake up, I love the drums to wake up, and just kind of the, uh, um, just again the lyrical themes there as well. Mm-hmm. 
something uh, something else that I kind of lose to earlier. Something I really don't like when people talk about Alana. She's like, oh, she's just such an angry young girl. It's all she was, anger, 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 anger. The character is full of anger. Not really. When you no. listen to Hand in My Pocket, it is one of the most delightfully carefree songs it you'll ever hear. It really is. Yeah, and I and lo- even I, I like it. And I have a black hole for a heart. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, I mean, the, the, the production and instrumentation on this album doesn't really uh, – agree with those statements i mean when you really listen to all i really want it's bright it's buzzy those guitars oh. you pair them up with some funky rhythms it's yeah. it's a it's not and a dark song no but, at all but the, it's the lyrics that but it's the lyrics that at. do have yeah. some of that frustrations and i do want to talk about all i really want okay um because it's probably still today my favorite alanis morissette song it was mm-hmm. the first one i was, I was introduced to her and i i love it so much so much again that that opening the opening guitar note and just the wonderful blend of that really interesting sound of guitar tones with harmonica i know that probably turns you off a little bit Michael. yeah i was going to mention that if we're going if i'm going to hard critique something on this it's it's untasteful use of harmonica but that's uh, that's my it's opinion not untasteful. I, I love the harmonica on here I and can, she was listening to a lot of bob dylan at the time she said so well she sense. did i think that's an embarrassment to bob dylan uh, for the <laughs> harmonica on this album the but, harmonica was Used wonderfully on this track, I would say. <laughs> no, it, it blends so well Andrew, with the guitar. Andrew, don't get me started, man. Don't I get don't me care started. if you think all the bad Grateful Dead stuff has harmonica on it. Yes, we're we're gonna play some music. We'll, we'll about- play. I'll, I'll play some music here in a second. In fact, I will pull up all I really want. I'm sorry, but um, yeah, I, I think all I really want is just such a special song to me because of the especially of the lyrical content as well because it's just again it's just a lot of like songs about frustration it's just like it, all I really want is this and that and it's just kind of really like just things that just you would just are basic not just things that you so I feel just so basic stuff that you feel like should, you should just have not of like entitlement but I'm just like I'm not asking for much here and mm-hmm. it's just again why I think this would have struck a chord with a lot of kids at the time this is like around at the tail end of Gen X at the start of the millennial generation. And this album would have probably spoken to a lot of young people at the time. Mm-hmm. And I, especially, I think All I Really Want could really have captured a lot of that emotions. But the thing that I love most about this song, it still just makes me just like go, oh, that's so awesome to this day, is on the thing in the third verse of that track. Um, th- this, well, the third verse of the track goes, why are you so petrified of silence? Here, can you handle this? And she literally stops the song for two or three seconds. And then she comes back saying, did you think about your bills, your ex, your deadlines? Or when you think you're going to die? Or did you long for the next distraction? That is so good. Oh, I love it so much. I love it when just artists and, and, you know, you know, musicians kind of fuck with or interact with their audience. That's one of the best examples of that I've ever heard. Well, we got to hear it now. Why are you so petrified of silence? Here, can you handle this? Did you think about your bills, your ex, your deadlines? Or when you think you're gonna die? Or did you long for the next distraction? Yeah, there's all I really want. It's still my favorite song, not only the album of her, of hers in general that I love. So mm-hmm. that's definitely one. I I mean it. It I mean the th- the thing about that track and why it was kind of an odd one for me to be introduced to her by um, was the fact that it's just 
her, that, this is really strong, like, focal inflections of hers. She has a lot of, like, she, she almost, like, dips in and out of pitch at times. She just has all these crazy, like, manic ways of delivering her vocals. And mm-hmm. I know not the doesn't sound too appealing on paper, but in delivery, in execution, it's just so good. It's just so interesting and really dynamic to listen to, and I just love it for that. I've always just loved how her voice sounds. And that's one of the things that really drew me to her mm-hmm. on this record and to her music in general. And I think that was actually almost kind of sorely lacking going forward in her, in, 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 her, in her time period. Like, no one else vocally to me sounds like her. Mm-hmm. That's why I've always loved, uh, one of the reasons why I've always loved her. For sure. And then uh, right after uh, All I Really Want, you you get a good transition into another absolute banger on this album um, that introduces some those those trademark dark lyrical themes. Yes. Um, you wanna you wanna go ahead and kind of introduce you, you ought to know real quick. You ought to know. I mean, yeah. it's the first single from this record, and it's probably this one and another big single from this record are the two that are most probably most remembered from this. I mean, mm-hmm. you ought to know. It's just, I uh, it, to me, it's one of the best breakup songs ever written. It is just so. I love how snarky she is on this. How much bite, how much bite she has on this. Yeah, it's a lot just, of sass. It's just so it's just so great. I just mm-hmm. love how I just always loved how the song is just so I mean, this is like the peak, like the anger that everyone thinks about when this Yeah. Talking about this record, it's sure. that song. And of course there's a lot of legend going around on who's written by and uh she really hasn't disclosed that information to this day. A lot of people I think the most common um theory that people have that it was actually written by David Coulier, who was hmm. a uh star a star of uh, Full House. And um that there's a 90s abortion that should have never left the goddamn 90s. I hate Full House. It is one of the worst TV shows ever written. Okay, dude. It is one of the worst TV shows ever written. Let's get back on the song real quick because yes. while this song is amazing, I, I'll just insert my minor critique, which, which I will do throughout. Um, the bass sounds like ass on this song. I think actually Flea played, played bass on this record. If, if Flea played on this song... Then it is the worst bass I've ever heard from the tone. It's not the bass itself; it's the tone. It sounds like a goddamn fart. It's awful. <laughs> it's it's the one of the worst bass tones I've ever heard. I mean, but the rest I don't of the really song need, it doesn't great. need bass. It hardly needs bass though for this kind of music. But it, it, it pronounces the bass so much, and that's what I don't like. Why is the bass so pronounced, and why is the tone so bad? Minor critique. Rest of the song's fantastic, Andrew. That's that's what I'm saying. It's not you got You got You have to put up with this because well, I, I know we have to have some. Uh, you know. Well, no, the, no. And I, I, I get, there are legit critiques of this album. Yeah. I do think so. And um, what? And again, one of the songs I should talk about, I think, is like a huge critique in of itself. But please continue. I mean, that was only my minor critique. Uh, for the rest of the song, though, I would say it's going off of what you said. Uh, it's it's really a showcase of her lyricism, her sass, and her um, vocal yeah. delivery. Her um, the edge that comes with it. Uh, really, it's it. If you were to brand this album with the song, like a particular song from it, it would be this one. Honestly, to yeah. I mean, describe I, I, the whole thing. I mean, honestly, I, I think so. It's probably the pre- perfect song to have chosen for that lead single. I mean, the it's just the. the I mean, the line, who would ever go down you in a th- movie theater <laughs> will live in pop culture forever. Yeah. Like, that's yeah. never going to li- live. It's just never going to leave people's consciousness. And yeah. It's just, I mean, it's just, again, it just has that bite to it that I just love. So, For sure. easily For one sure. of the best breakup songs in my mind ever written. So, the other, tra- on the other side of the coin, um, We're, are we going to transition to the B to, side of the record now and talk about. Um, I was thinking more we could talk about Ironic first. Yes, that's on the B side. We'll talk about that. I thought you were talking about like the B side to like the deep deeper cuts. No, no, I was confused. Like, but yes, uh, 
yes, of course, towards the tail end of the record comes probably, it is actually the biggest commercial success from this record. Mm-hmm. Ironic. The song that everyone loves to mock these days. Yes. Because why do people mock this song, Michael? I mean, the lyrics are very cheeky, to say the least. Um, I mean, they're cheeky. I mean, cheeky, I guess, is one way. But what, what, what's the main, I guess, critique that people, particularly English teachers, will have of this particular song? Well, I mean, sh- the whole lyrical theme of this is trying to state things that are ironic, but, but they're, they're not. really not. <laughs> and so, yeah, so... Here's the thing. From I'm honest, I'm honestly kind of getting tired of hearing that, but like for me, yes, when you look at it from like a from a strictly literary literary point of view, mm-hmm. it is one of the biggest biggest blunders in all of like lyric <laughs> history. It is. I mean, it is. I mean, there are, there are no actual like literal ironies in this yeah. entire song. They're just essentially saying somewhat poetic bummers, really. Yeah, but I mean. I this wasn't my favorite song on the record it's, for sure, but um, I can appreciate it for being very catchy. Oh, love the chorus of this. Yes. Love the transition into the chorus, how it just kind of explodes out of nowhere. It really does. Um, I mean, that chorus again will live in radio forever. Like yeah. uh, that chorus is never going to go away. Yeah, and it's um, I think objectively a great sing along song. Um, <laughs> yes, I mean it's it's a fine pop song. That's how I view it. Yeah, and certainly f- for for me. When people talk about that, the, the lyrics, though, everyone likes my like, oh, it's not ironic. It's actually, it's not. I mean, yeah, when you look at it from that case, sure. But I'd also like to remind everyone, I think we mentioned it. I, I don't know if you've talked about it. I'll show you yet. But Alanis Morissette was 19 years old. 19 years old when she released this. Yeah. Do you honestly think she gave much of a shit about making sure everything <laughs> was actually ironic? No. I mean, no. She no. said as much that she doesn't think of that. There's in a recent interview, I think she did on like a cable news show or something. She said, "Yeah, I'm not the smart. I'm not. I'm not going to claim I'm always the smartest cookie in the pan, really, mm-hmm. something or something to that effect." I mean, she she knows that she kind of screwed up on that. I mean, Gen X probably, the 90s youth in general probably didn't care that it wasn't actually ironic. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, like, I think probably a large part due to that song. I think, like, irony always had, like, a whole separate own meaning in yeah. the 90s. So, like, to me, like, it's, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a critique, but it's not that much of one. Although I would say even if the song did have, like, actual ironies to it it's not even as profound as it thinks it is i mean no. it's just like lyrically i think it is the weakest on i think i think the album but i think it makes up for it in the songwriting uh, I think yes it, oh yeah yeah it's it definitely song. redeemed itself you mind if i talk about one more track that i really enjoyed please do yeah um i really enjoyed the one that came right after this uh not the doctor simply yes. f- simply for those acoustic licks uh yeah. so crisp in the production so I, I, I love the muted, the palm muting on it. I love how they were produced, and I love how it pairs so well with the rhythm of everything else. Um, just, a, just a really pleasant song to, lis- mm-hmm. to listen to. I, I, I think, yeah, you're right. And production, I think the production is, we might say something about the bass, fine, whatever. But I think well, it, was, whole, it was just on that one song. There was, I don't think there was much bass yeah. on this one. For, but it's for me, I think the production is just amazing. Again, I've always loved how this record sounded. I've always loved how Alanis Morissette sounded on this record. I mean, really, there, there are very, I think there are legit critiques, and I can see why this might not be for everyone. Like, some people might might find her frustration going to call them across as whininess. I think it just, just matches with, with her age at the time, and, and the frustration is probably a lot of youth felt at the time. Like, to me, and, and this is where I kind of want to bring back to her 
for, to the start of her career when she was making all that terrible pop music. The one truly great thing, the one truly great thing I can say about that, it kind of gave us Jack Little Pill because of the frustration she makes. She almost like, there's a couple things. I mean, obviously, she, she felt like she had like two almost two separate lives, you know, like the perfect schoolgirl versus, you know, like the, the, the rebel behind the scenes. And she felt like she was able to combine them here to both fleet, mm-hmm. combine both of them here on that record. And which is why I think she probably didn't like why she didn't go off the deep end like a lot of other child stars did because she was able to at a young age still in her prime able to explore those themes more so able to express them more so and she wasn't in the public eye and not so destructive way Mm. so i think she was able since she was able to have that outlook early on in her career almost kind of saved herself i mean again i can't speak for her i don't know but that's just my thought on it yeah that's a good take that is a really good take and also the fact that she had to write all this pop music because she probably wasn't a fan of it. Hell, like I, I, like you can't even find those first two records on Spotify because mm-hmm. she might even be slightly ashamed of them. For all I know, again, I'm not her. I Whenever can't speak of her. I did watch an, a particular interview where the inter- it was the MTV interview yes. um, where she, the interviewer does try to go into her early work and her early um, childhood and and all of that, and uh, she really tried to quickly like breeze over Mm -hmm. those topics and just talk talk about her first two records yeah and and you also gotta imagine something else you gotta think about this record i mean here in the states i mean this thing just came out of nowhere for us and it's like wow this is really cool and it fits in with a lot of like you know people's emotions at the time and a Mm -hmm. lot of the music at the time especially with the little fair crowd we mentioned earlier um in Canada, though, I mean, everyone's still, like, her, her first two records did decently well in Canada. I mean, they never really charted outside of Canada, but yeah. they, they, they had some decent charts there. So people knew who she was. So to go from too hot to you ought to know, I mean, that's just, whoa, what, what just happened yeah, there? So, yeah. And there was actually is a great interview that was done in 95 mm-hmm. where, where, like, someone, like, she was walking around, like, this, this town in Canada, and she was doing, like, performing at, like, record stores. She was doing all that, and they were talking about, like, about it, about her other works. Like, yeah, you know what I mean? I, I'm actually, she, she probably said the stuff I've already talked about, but yeah, it's verbatim. I mean, she's like, yeah, it's just me now. This is just feels more right for me, making mm-hmm. this more rock. Absolutely. You, I, it was definitely probably felt very liberating for her if I was trying to put myself in her shoes mm-hmm. to be able to kind of come to America, start, kind of start fresh mm-hmm. and put out this kind of groundbreaking album. And then um, I feel like the, dealing with the critical reception um the positive critical reception was fairly easy um because she kind of had this kind of side career that that she wanted to put behind her i feel like that was an easy transition yeah and again i mean she already had experience being you know famous and she was able to um again she was able to like outline all that on this and it really led to a i mean sometimes it is the fortunate truth because we look at guys like nick drake for instance mm-hmm. times pain and frustration makes the best music yeah. makes the best art in general so yeah um, so for you straight at 10 out of 10 on this one i, ah, imagine, yeah? I mean i don't know if i go straight at 10 out of 10 i mean ironic is has some faults <laughs> to it but no i mean it, it is i think uh, uh, this is easily one of the best albums of the 90s hmm. one it really is truly and i think it is true again i not my generation in particular I think it is truly a generation-defining album. Like, I mean, this fits so well. Like, from everything I've ever heard about Gen X in mm-hmm. the '90s and mm-hmm. you know, early millennials, this fits in so well with all like the uh, the kind of like you know, the frustrations they would have had at the time. I mean, like everyone like the '90s, oh, like it was so great politically. But I mean, like if you look on the surface, sure. But when you really duck into it, yeah. no, I mean, a lot of people didn't. And I mean, we haven't even touched on the the faux the the the, the 
kind of the quasi-feminist themes that you find throughout her music too. Yeah, I mean, she I mean she does. I mean, I, fi- I finally looked up interviews about this because I never know what she thought about that. But she does consider herself a feminist. And Absolutely. No, I don't think any of her songs in particular are quite like straight up like you know feminist anthems. But like you can kind of look at stuff like Forgiven or um, she gives a nod you know, to perfect. it later in her albums. And, There's and, a particular and, song, and yeah, you know, you're going on especially off of Under Rex Left. I mean, you definitely saw a lot of those themes there. So, mm-hmm. I mean, she was able to speak to a lot of young people, and I would imagine a lot of young women too. And she was 19, same age as a lot of the people who would have been listening to this. So, yeah, it, it really, I mean, like with how successful it was, both commercially and even critically to an extent, um, critics weren't as kind to it as the, the sales were, I don't think, but um, the, but how much just people just, just, how much this album just swept over pop culture for like two years. Yeah. Like, yeah, it is, I think, a truly, it is kind of a landmark album, and it's truly just, it is an album I would put right up there with Nevermind and 10 as like something that's generation-defining. Okay. I know you gave me that face, I know you don't think it's as good, and I'm fine, I get that. Well, let but me- like, as far as defining a decade, how you would define a generation, yeah, I think it belongs there. Easily belongs okay. to that. Yeah, defining a generation. That's that's an interesting choice of words, Andrew, because I would say that this came out in 95, and I hate, I know you don't like the term, but it's a product of its time, man. You're not, no one's going to make something like this today because it wouldn't sell. Nobody would like it. Okay, and I'm not saying that this album is bad because it's not the attitude of this decade and it's not something that's going to last. It's something that was exactly to the point of the mid to late 90s. No one. There's a reason why there's a 25 cent sticker. On this CD. Because I bought it in a garage sale. That's why. But okay, you're not going to (laughs) be. But listen to me. okay? Uh, by the way, Michael was pointing to for for those listening. <laughs> Michael was pointing. I have a stack of CDs here, and yes, yeah. my my copy of Jack of Little Pill has a twenty five cent sticker on it because I bought it in a fucking garage sale. But listen, no, it's going to sell a CD listen more than me. a quarter been, at you, a garage listen sale. Listen to me, you've been you've been praising this album for the past ten minutes. Okay. I got to give my two cents because I did Please. enjoy this. I did enjoy this whole experience listening to Jagged Little Pill. It's an album that you've recommended to me plenty of times. Um, but when I'm listening to this, I hear the '90s. I hear. Uh, ben even mentioned like he he hears friends in this like a 90s show like you you hear the time period that this came out in and I I can't escape that uh, this album is not something like Nevermind where I can listen to today and I can still kind of identify with Here's or anybody ben. can identify with you can't uh, you can't do put it up to something like 10 it, it's to me it's more of an album like um like uh, I don't know, like something like like Guns and Roses to the point where it's like it's '80s, but like you know people still listen to it and they'll come back to it. That's not a good comparison. I'm trying to think of something, but like I'll probably think of something. But I I can't. You back me up on this, Ben. <laughs> um, I think that yeah, I moved to be a reinforcement. I think that for me, it is very '90s, mostly in well in the attitude and the production. I think that the production, especially when uh, this was the period of 90s pop music when they were adding a lot of hip-hop elements to stuff, and you get hip-hop drumming throughout at least some of the tracks on this album. The opening track is a good example. Um, And I think that that sort of thing, the vocal inflection as well, the way that she sings, uh, this period of time kind of, she definitely was like going off the rails with it, like taking it way farther than anyone had ever done. But this 
period of time and this scene especially had sort of a way of singing in the same way that like pop punk kind of has a way of singing uh and i think that those elements combine with like also the shitty guitar tone um no <laughs> guitar tone's not shitty to, I, I draw the line to make <laughs> the perfect stew of like it's it's 90s but it's stuff that i feel like I, but there's stuff that I feel like should have stayed in the 90s. Like I, I think Friends should have stayed in the 90s, but it didn't. Right. So it's Full House should have definitely stayed in. The yeah. I said to, I wrong. said to Ben out in the hallway that there's such a combination of things that were happening in this decade that all went into the creation of this album that at the time it had an identity. It knew what it wanted to be and it was successful mm-hmm. at that. If you're looking at it now, it has no place in the I, 2000s and definitely not in the year 2020. That's I, just my can opinion. I, can I provide the counter to that? Yes. I completely disagree with that. Especially with the last part, it doesn't have a place today. That part I definitely disagree. Could it say that sonically it sounds a bit dated? I can kind of concede there. Although for me, like I can't, it's hard for me to even think that way because nothing else really sounds like it. Like it's hard to say something's dated when it sounds so unique to me. Mm-hmm. I get maybe some of the 90s production choices, maybe some of like the attitude, certainly the attitude. I can definitely see where where that might, where, where, where I could definitely see where that's like, oh, this is a 90s product. I mean, it is. It is. Don't get me wrong. But it's definitely one of those 90s products, I think, that can stand the test of time. And you want to know what I mean? Like, and I, I have no interest in it. I, will probably, I would probably hate it if I saw it. But a, a, as we're talking right now, a Broadway play is being, is being produced based on Jack and Little Pill. How do you feel about that? Which I don't like, but if you're talking about, like, this doesn't have a place in today's, you know, youth culture, that's so, it, it totally looks like it's going to be, like, a youth-oriented kind of, like, um, youth, especially, like, a millennial or Gen, Gen Z kind of themed play. I mean, like, the, the clip that I think I saw, when I mentioned that, that, that brief pause in All I Really Want. I think people are going to, I think, and again, I don't know how I feel about it, but I think they were going to use that to kind of, you know, I don't want to say bring awareness, but kind of like used to like represent like school shooting. Like everyone drops to the floor, like it's you know like kind of a school shooting. <sighs> it's a little cringy. I, I'm not saying it's good, but it, it, I, th- I think these. I think a lot of the frustration, especially we're talking about some of like the more quasi-feminist themes, can definitely still speak to a lot of people to these days. We actually have a um uh, an editor here in CM Life who uh, her name is Sarah Kellner. Uh, absolutely love her. She's not a huge music dork like the, the three of us. And you know, she she really is a pop music listener. She said she still throw that album on every once in a while. Mm-hmm. A, um, we have an, um, our I think our engagement or our video editor Alana Sparks, not for the editor, but this kind of multimedia editor Alana Sparks. She she knows about it. We, we were taught we, we kind of have a brief conversation about it earlier. People are still aware of who okay. she is. Sure, and but this that's, album. But that's still our time. Think of someone like your little sister or my little brother. Are they going to turn on an album like this? I have. I. I see no chance They're of that They're too busy happening. doing Fortnite dances. Yeah, I don't think a Gen Z person is going to find any merit in an album Oh, like that's, I mean, I mean, I can't see that, though. I mean, like, yeah, you're right. Maybe it has, doesn't have the same, you know, maybe it, no, uh, young people today probably don't know about this album as much as people did about it in the 90s, for sure. But it says that no one's going to get anything out of it. I think it's ridiculous. Mm. I mean, yeah, what, if I were to go to this, to this concert... Um, in, in July when she's coming to Michigan during her tour for, for celebrating this record. Yeah, I, a good majority is going to be wine mobs. A good majority of that audience are going to be wine mobs. Absolutely. No doubt about it. Because <laughs> definitely there's going to be – you're acting like I'm the only freaking, like, you know, kid my age going to that show. No. I don't I, – I think it's ridiculous. I mean, I was talking with Ben Sleese, who used to work here at C- CM Life as well. 
I mean, maybe somewhat jokingly, but I think he, I think he totally got on to see that show with me. I'm sure Jordan Hermione, who we had in the B-52s, she would as well, from from my understanding. I could be wrong. I don't want to misrepresent her, misrepresent, misrepresent her taste. But suggest that, like, this is a complete, like, complete null and void in anything enjoyable or inspirational. No, in, that's in, not in, what in, I'm saying. I'm just saying it's, it's, it's on ridiculous. its way out. I think this is what, I think... I, that, I don't know. I mean, I would have... Hold on, hold on. Ben's got something. I think that Jagged Little Pill possesses in its lyricism, generally speaking, a specific brand of edge that has kind of fallen out of fashion. Per- That's it. That's it. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, I mean, again, but then again, people interpret music in different ways. This so. is true. So, I mean, sure, but at the same time, like, I still think, like, it's a lot of people, like, people are still falling out of faith with Catholicism, especially with, I mean, all the whole, you know, Catholic priest situation going on. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, people fall out of that stuff. People, you were talking about forgiving. People could still find a lot from that song, I think. I think a lot of people could still find a lot of, you know, stuff to relate to in All I Really Want. I, Mm -hmm. I really do. And... And, and, they, and to that one point that you said, Michael, about like it coming on its way out, I would have totally agreed with you, actually, mm-hmm. especially after you and Elio didn't know who she was mm-hmm. uh, dur- during that Guilty Pleasures episode. Yeah. But after hearing everyone just react, like, oh, my God, like everyone just reacting and going crazy about this tour for Lance Morissette. Cricket, ticket prices be damned. People are excited about this. I think people are excited. So, no, I still think hell has a place in today's society. How long it will survive, who knows? I, I can't say for certain, but I still definitely think it, it, I mean, it, it, it didn't. S- <sighs> this album has worth, dude. It does. Like, it's, there's a reason why we're doing an episode on it. Mm-hmm. It's because it's a trademark album. It's, it's a, it's a good piece of music history. Um, but I, to, I can't to, to your point that it doesn't re, that it doesn't really that Gen Z wouldn't find any interest in it. I I, I disagree. I'm just going to disagree with that. I I just think mm. I just can't see that. Hey, le- audience, let us know in the Twitter yes, comments. Please, <laughs> yeah, everyone, please, if you please would send if you find your, merit in Alanis please, Morissette's please, anyone, Bill. share us your thoughts on yeah. Twitter. Um, when we when we post this episode on Twitter, hopefully <laughs> maybe it's you. It should hopefully already happen. Mm-hmm. Um, please just share us your thoughts. I I want to hear. I genuinely do yeah, want to hear people's I'm, take. I'm on this curious record. as well. So again, we could have made this whole. As you already tell, we could have made this whole episode <laughs> centered around this record because there's just so much to talk about with it. It's such a legendary record. But Ooh, the yeah. reason I didn't want to do that because I think there are some like an hour probably. I was gonna say, um, I think we should try to tail off like don't take as much time yeah no absolutely not we don't need to uh, yeah if we're already at an hour man well that's not counting rush right or is that counting rush that's that's counting rush okay we're at an hour seven okay so we we go through the stuff i don't have much to say about so-called chaos anyways we can rush through cut out but yeah i'd say let's just go quick yeah let's no more than 15 minutes right okay through whatever else is valuable Maybe we'll talk Rock Hall at the end. Or yeah, Rock yeah. Hall should be talked about. You Do we all have rec- recommendations? I, I have one. I got one. Yeah, too. I'll look around for one while you guys are talking. Okay, so yeah, okay. why don't you lead this, okay. and I'll follow so, you. Um, so you just want to start off where I was talking about? Yes. Mm-hmm. So. We left off at uh, letting people respond on Twitter. Yes, so. But uh, I think it's we've been talking about this for too long. Um, let's move quickly on here, and I do want to go through some of her next, uh, a few other albums real quickly yeah. because – I think people, and maybe this is just my perception, I could be wrong, I think a lot of people do have this false perception that she's just a one-album artist. Mm. I think that's absolutely wrong. I think I the think next two too. or three records uh, uh, do have a lot, do have some merit to, 
do have some merit to her. And um, granted, I, I think there are four records that there's, especially if you really like Jack Little Pill, including Jack Little Pill, there are four records of hers worth checking out. And mm-hmm. uh, it's the ne- and the other three are the ones that precede this one. She does kind of have a downward trajectory for me throughout Jack Little Pill. Yeah. But don't don't take that the wrong way. I think these next, especially these next few albums, for me for me personally, are definitely ones to check out. Do you but, mind if I actually introduce the next? And one? I was gonna say, but okay. Michael, you really like the next record here. Yeah. Um, the album, album title I always forget the name of. Yeah, but you fail. should say it for me. Suppose former infatuation junker. Though you had to read that off my yes. CD. Released you said in, you really like this one. Please, I please did. explain. I, uh, this album was released in 1998, um, following Jagged Little Pill and the grandiose success of it. Oh, by the way, hold on, real quick. Yeah. One more thing I do want to mention though, because in between Jagged Little Pill and this, and this um, record, do you want to know who's drumming for her? Who? You know her. Oh, Taylor, it's Taylor Hall- Hawkins. Hawkins. Yeah. That's how he got his first big break. And then yep. he actually, Alliance and, yeah, Taylor Hawkins of the Foo Fighters. Um, now he's been with them since, well, honestly, since the late 90s, because when Foo Fighters and Alanis played some festival together, he met, Taylor met Dave Grohl, and that's how they kind of started talking. And Dave was like, we're not as big as a lot more set right now, but we'd love to have you. But yeah. then it worked out for Taylor. I don't think Taylor's yeah. complaining at all. So. Good little fun fact there for everybody here. But yeah, uh, now we're talking about Infatuation Junkie, which um, it might be a blasphemy, but uh, I don't pre- I don't prefer it to Jagged Little Pill per se. I do, but Jagged Little Pill is objectively, critically the better record, right? But I would say so. But infatuation junkie does something for me that jagged little pill wasn't able to do with the introduction of uh darker almost dronier production little Mm. um little technical a little uh industrial at times um it's presenting me something that i never thought i wanted out of alanis um but that i was able to get um you get an introduction to her piano playing on this album, mm-hmm. which um, many forget. She's also a very talented piano player, other she than is. singer, guitarist, songwriter. Um, I mean, straight up, just on the first song, um, you get a call back to kind of the instrumentals of Jagged Little Pill. But uh, the vocals just seem like a little more pleasant, and you're not yeah. going to get the the vibrato that you would get from Jagged mm-hmm. Little Pill as much. But Jagged Little Phil, let Jagged Little Pill, yeah. But um. <laughs> But it's it's a it, that first song, um, front row, it, it's, it's a it's a it's a standard good song, yeah. and then I and then it goes into Baba. That's a really good song. Which it's noisy, it's industrial, it's 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 grounded, it's um it's excellent, it's explosive, heavy choruses like what we expect from Alanis at this point. Would you like me to play some of it for you? For yes, the yes, please play some Baba for me. So yeah, that was that was just one example of kind of this new production style that we're getting, and it's a lot of it's to do with her collaborator on this album. Uh, remind me of his name. It's just listed. Christopher Fogel. Yeah. Yes. That, um, I don't think sure. it did as much wonders for her as Glenn Ballard, but that's with my pick. But please okay. continue. But yeah, um, then you go into the song like "Thank You," uh, which interest- was the big single from this yeah, album. Yeah, interesting synth development, and you get the uh, you get back into those uh, dark, heavily heavy lyrical themes on that track too. Um, are you still mad? Not p- 
particularly a fan of that one. I think it's kind of a. You're just going to go this entire record. I'm not. Like 15 songs. I'm not. And I just wanted to do the first five for a good reason because there's 17 songs on that record. And that's my main critique is that it's interesting what this album's thinking of, but it's too much. It's too much it, material. It, it needs to get cut down to maybe a 10 or 12 song album and yeah. it would be perfect it would be better than jagged in my opinion uh even even then like it, that'd be a bit of a stretch for me so he, here's what i'm gonna say like i for me this fatuation junkie and the next record we'll talk about mm-hmm. are t- both very criminally overlooked for in in, in in my eyes that being said it's hard for me for, to say either one of them beats jagged because i mean here's the thing like you i i i get i do like i like the production on infatuation junkie it just it's, i don't know just a lot of the interest that i had from jagged just kind of falls out for me. I don't think the guitar tone is as interesting on on this record as it was on Jacket. Um, I I just I don't like. I one of the I love Alanis was for crazy like vocal inflections, and she mm-hmm. kind of dials that back a little bit on this record, which kind of disappoints me. Um, I I love the just in the piano. So I think that's a really um, interesting touch. I like the synths too, not, not as much as I do with the straight piano, but. Mm-hmm. She definitely does offer a lot here, but yeah, I, I will definitely agree that the length is what really kind of pampers this album a little bit. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's an hour and 11 minutes long. It doesn't doesn't need to be that long. It kind of no. sags in the middle to me. Definitely. Um, that being said, though, I think her, her lyricism is still just as on point as it yes. is on this record as was Jack. I didn't see the, the, the Jacket, this record, and the next record we'll talk about, Under Rug Swept. I think the, the lyricism is strong equally throughout both of all mm-hmm. three. And... And especially for the song I, I want to play here real quick. It's called The Couch. I think it's just a... Another great example It's of a, a great... Song. It's just this one. Let me... I'm going to pull it up here. Uh, yeah, it's just a really interesting, like, kind of storyline that kind of, like, develops between this, like, guy. He's talking to his therapist, about mm-hmm, his mom, mm-hmm. and uh, just, like, all the, like, all these, like, issues with his life. It's just a really interesting way of telling this story. I mean, I think she's really underrated as, like, a storyteller. Again, she has a, she does it really well in Mary Jane. She does it really well on this track. Um, I really wish she kind of did more of it, because I think The Couch is easily one of her, probably her most underrated song. I really do. I think it's just one that doesn't get up so much attention. So let me play a bit of it for you all. sometimes confused, sometimes ready to Yeah, I mean, I, I think she definitely does a really good job doing storytelling. Again, as much as, for me, sometimes, sometimes the and, and while the mass public can be wrong in a lot of cases with with what's popular. I mean, look at Top Forty anytime; like half mm-hmm. of it usually sucks, anyways. But look, especially look at like the top ten rock songs from Billboard. Oh, but just forget like, it. Sometimes started. the mass public is very wrong. <laughs> But sometimes they're, they're right. And I, I, I think sometimes the most commercially successful or critically successful album is the best. Mm. But even then, I, I will definitely say it's supposed fatuation. For fuck's sakes. Supposed former infatuation junkie. Yeah. I have always hated the name of this album. I will say that. Um, it's not too far off from, from Jack a Little Pill in My Eyes. I think it is really good. Production's nice. Uh, it's just It doesn't really match up to Jack a Little Pill for me. I just yeah. don't think it can. If, if, you, if you're someone like me who appreciates a... A kind of a a different take on um, on something like Jagged a Little Pill and want something a little bit darker, a little more mm-hmm. um, 
a little more I hate the word cerebral because that's not what I would use to describe this. But like um, because you're still getting a song like you are spelt you are. Right. Um, but yeah, give it give it a shot. Um, and, and I would say I want to uh, make this comment, though, yeah. um, because like we mentioned, it's it's very it sags heavily in the middle. I would say skip the songs. Um, I was hoping one would not come and so pure everything else, though. Give it a shot. Maybe you'll like it. I, I mean, I, I would still recommend it. I mean, if you have the time, maybe check out everything else. Again, I don't, I don't think any of it really is bad. It's just, yeah, some of it just kind of teeters on what's filler, what's not filler. Mm-hmm. I definitely agree with that. So, um, But you're definitely not wrong. It definitely does. It, it suffered a little too heavily on having too many ballads, almost too much filler. Yeah, so. yeah. Which kind of leads into the next record we were going to talk about. And uh, I know you weren't crazy about this one, Michael. I no. understand. Um, I should also mention in between this time, she also had an unplugged record that was pretty decent. She actually does a really good cover of I King do of- want to listen to that. Uh, she, she actually has a pretty good cover of uh, King of Pain yeah. by, by The Police. It's actually yeah. pretty good. Um, so, which, which, I, which I like because it's kind of you know, more acoustic driven, which is why I always thought King of Pain should have been. But mm-hmm. That's besides the point. Let's talk about her 2002 record, Under Ruck Swept. Uh, again, another four-year gap between records, uh, probably because they're all pretty long. All these records are pretty long, too, by the way. I yeah, should. they're all about an hour or yeah, right underneath 50 it. minutes yeah. an hour, yeah. yeah. Um, this is, for me, where I think everything starts to fall. Um, but I want you to give a positive introduction before well, I talk Well, so about. for me, like like I said with supposed former Fatuation Junkie, I think it kind of nailed it that time. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I I personally think Under Ruck Swept is is also very criminally overlooked. I personally, after revisiting it, I, I will agree with you, Michael. It's probably not. I wouldn't say it's objectively better than Infatuation Junkie. But personally, I like Under Ruck Swept more than I do Infatuation Junkie. Mm. I really get into. It. I lo- it does suffer from too many ballads. Actually, that's probably a, maybe even a bigger critique I have for this than perhaps Fatuation Junkie. But no, I think her lyrics are as strong as ever. In fact, I like a lot of the themes she touches. I think she takes more risks, riskier, I think, lyrically and even time sonically. Because one of the things I love about this record, it's one of my favorite memories of Alanis Morissette. Mm-hmm. When, I, when I actually bought the CD I'm holding in my hands right now for people listening at home, this, this, this album starts off with a thing, song called 21 Things I Want in a Lover. And when I first put it in, I legit thought I got the wrong CD because it's basically starts off. It's basically a sludge metal song, which is not at all what I would have ever expected. It is heavy, from, yeah. Uh, not at all what I would have expected from G- from Alanis Morissette. I was like, take it back, like what? What is this? And I listened to this. Wow, this is freaking awesome. And she mm-hmm. kind of, unfortunately, that's the only song like that on the album. A man, which is also a really good song, kind of is like it too. But you're right. I mean, there are some precious illusions. Yeah, that one's really weak to me. Um, that particular time too. Oh, I like that one i don't know like for me like even even the, the big single from this one hands clean is a little um iffy for me I and mean, the lyrical themes are pretty dark it's kind of going more talking about like how she used to date older men and kind of in the eyes of one of them and stuff like that you bring up it later i don't want to get into it right now but it i i don't know i i can kind of see where some of your issues are going to be coming from here michael but mm-hmm. for me like i think she really excels here lyrically and i think she really does try some new things with stuff like songs like So Unsexy, like Narcissist, like 21 Things I Want to Love Her, and a man. I think she really tries to explore heavier guitar tones. She does try to explore more interesting lyrical themes, and I don't know. I just, I think the hooks here are all solid as well. I mean, if you really liked the the stuff from from Jacket, you'll really like, I think I really like this record. Mm-hmm. Again, I will say my opinion saying that I like this more than 
former infatuation junkie, I will agree, is probably an unpopular one among the Lost fans. So, mm-hmm. personally, I think this is really great. So, I don't know, man. You, you're talking about hooks, and then I hear the song Narcissus, and there is no hook. There's, there's buildup that leads to absolutely nothing. And a song like this would have paired perfectly with the dark instrumentation of Infatuation Donkey. So when she carries this songwriting style of not being very chorus-heavy like she was on Jagged Little Pill over to an album that adopts brighter instrumentation, it's not going to work for me. It's just not. And then and then I'm listening to a, a song like So Unsexy, and it's just like, where is this inspiration coming from? I don't... It's not what I've become accustomed to. It's kind of taken away me out of the experience. I, a song like A Man, however, great lyrical themes. It's tackling toxic masculinity. It's yes. talking. It's tackling some pretty important issues. And it has a great build. I think that's a fantastic mm-hmm. musical build. I'm not it. saying there's not good songs on this dude, but like, I cannot compare it anywhere near the quality of the first two records. I and and we're gonna differ there. I mean, like you're saying that carry it does carry off similar songwriting qualities from former Fatuation Junkie. I mean, yeah, you're right. It doesn't the, the, the lyrical topics does not match or match with the bright instrumentation of Hand Clean. That is definitely something definitely a, a, a critique I can leash you on. For me though, it's just a different way of, of kind of expressing these emotions. And I I mean I don't know. I, I think she she definitely can have some darkness here, unlike a man. I think the man is totally perfect. Mm-hmm. Um for me, like I, I think she really just excels here, and she again, it's a little too ballad heavy. I wish she would kind of pick some stuff up here every now and again. But I was never, I'm never really that bored listening to it. I'm never, it always keeps my interest in some ways because of those lyrics, because of just the, these interesting guitar tones she kind of brings, and she kind of has more piano on here too. And I don't know, I like the production. That's true. Like uh, the the very the closer of the album is probably my favorite because it it showcases some Utopia. of that. Piano production. I'd actually like to play it real quick now if you want to listen along, audience. So, yeah, um, that's pretty much, I, I think we'll have to agree to disagree on this one, Michael. Personally, I think Under Ripsuck is just as, stands up just as much as these other two. But I, I think other people, other fans of Lonis will agree that, yeah, on, on your side, yeah, maybe sometimes it's just not as interesting as the other two. But Can we get into the next album, so, which I had to... Uh, so-called uh, Chaos, yeah. I'm just going to tell you straight up, man, I nearly fell asleep. But eh. uh, but let's let's give it a shot. Give me an introduction. So um, here, okay, here's that. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna defend this one as much as as Under Rock Soft, I will mm. say because for me, like I still think it's like here, here's what I'm gonna say about So Called Chaos. If you if if you're someone who's really enjoyed the previous three, definitely give it a shot. I mean, for me, I still still songs here that I I enjoy. Um, I I do like Doth. I protest too much. Knees on my bees, which I really liked and. Uh, um, spineless. I think those are all really, really solid tracks. What I will say though, is she does feel like she's starting to coast here. Like she's starting to like ride on her name success. It's not as long as the previous records. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like she's she's not trying as she's not trying in, interesting things on this one. I still think there are good hooks here. I still think there are um, something to listen to. But proceed with this one only if you've really enjoyed what you've heard so far. 
beyond that, I mean, yeah, I mean, I still think it's good. I think it's solid. That's all I'm going to say. Like, the previous thing I think are exceptional or really exceptional to really good. This one's just kind of like, it's there if you're a hardcore fan. Beyond that, this might not be for everyone. Allow me. Eight Easy Steps. Probably one of the most annoying singles I've ever heard in a while. Uh, yeah, that's a little I weird. feel like there's no love in this album. There was no time or tenderness that was put into this. Aside from Knees of My Bees, which I really enjoyed. Very catchy, very fun. Um, love the sitar on that thing. Yeah, that and, Oh, great. my God. Great. Um, the production is squeaky clean on these yes. tracks. Yes. To an annoying degree. I... I really legitimately almost fell asleep, Andrew, and I'm really sorry. But I this the, I had to go and listen to Ween after this just so I could hear something interesting. I again, like again, this this, this is this is where definitely it's this is kind of the tipping point. I can see that. The production, especially in certain tracks, I can see that. Mm-hmm. It is a little too much. I do like how noise like it's almost like power pop to me. I do kind of like that direction. I just you're right. I mean it's just Production might just be a little too clean. I can see that. I'm not saying this is. I think, I'm not saying this is on par with the other three. I think. I think. Listen to this album to hear "Knees of My Bees." Maybe "Spineless." That's a good one. I love um, "Spineless." And again, I would say if you not really an album you, experience though. It it really it, it's it's not an experience like the other three. I will definitely agree with that. And again, like I like I said, proceed with some with a little bit of caution. Just just check it out if you really like what you've heard so far. Personally, I like it. I'm not gonna say it's the greatest thing ever, of course. Like, but I love Alanis, and I like the kind of I like I like her songwriting. I like what she brings to the table. So I'm able to, uh, um, I guess, tolerate more than you. But with me saying that, with, with, with me saying that, yeah, this is beyond that. There's really not much to explore. Even I'll say, flavors of entanglement. I, she's starting at that point. She's starting to follow trends, and it's honestly kind of sad. Like, Citizen Planet, Citizen of the Planet, which is the opening is weird. Underneath is a better single than I remember it being, but it's still a little too popular for me. The straight jacket was just awful. It was it sounded almost like a black eyed peas song at times. <laughs> it she's collaborated with Fergie before. Not collaborated, but um I will talk about that a bit later. But yeah, I mean then then she has uh, and then she had another album in twenty eleven that wasn't very good. Um her um the song she just released, Reasons I Drink, it's not that good, I have to say. Like she's releasing an album this year what it's god ho- awful it's horrible <laughs> it is it, yeah it Just is real man it's god awful yeah like it's it's, it's not sad. that good i will agree and she's releasing a new album this year i'm not really that's not really what i care about if that i didn't can pump you up what that that song didn't make you really excited for an album of that no it didn't i was like what i mean here's the thing like I could be hard and say that she should stop writing music. I almost feel like I want to say that. But in interviews, she's talked about, like, because she suffers from bi- uh, was it postpartum depression. Mm-hmm. She said one of the ways she copes is writing music. So that'd be a little mean to say. But Oh, here, I've got the solution. Keep writing music. Just get it away from me. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> okay. no one says you have to listen to it, Ben. But no, you're right. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm not too interested in hearing new music from her at this point. She's not giving me, the past few albums have not really given me any interest in it. So... I guess being a lookout if you're a hardcore fan, I, I mean, I, I might check it out of curiosity, but, like, it's hard for me to really mm-hmm. be excited about it. But mm. beyond that, um, the other things I would recommend, if I'll, I'll just real quick. Um, she has a great song called Uninvited. 
she made for a movie soundtrack back in the late 90s. If you really like her piano stuff, Michael, you'll love that track. Yeah. She's uh, also done movie soundtracks for Chronicles of Narnia, some of my favorite movies of all really? time. Really? Yeah. I didn't know she that. She wrote the music for that. Tremendous music. Well, there we go. Um, she also uh, she also has a great, actually a pretty decent B-Sides record called Feast on Scraps that I like. Mm-hmm. And I also got to bring you mentioned Fergie. This one's just for shit. This recommendation is just for shits and giggles. But she once covered My Humps by Fergie, which is just <laughs> one of the funniest things ever. Because she covers it in like a stick, in her, her classic stripped down piano style, really haunting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, I heard she, about but that. it's like the lyrics of My Humps. I think I've heard that. Yeah. It's actually, it's actually, it's actually a really. It's meant clever. to be a joke. Yeah. I mean, it's, of, of course it is. But like, it's it's actually pretty funny, and I think Fergie actually took it in good humor too. But like, yeah. I don't know. I think that's just a great piss take. That's just for me though. <laughs> But like, um, yeah. Um, again, Lannis, not for everyone. Might be weird. She's one of my favorites, but I think for at least four records, I really enjoy her work, mm-hmm. and I, I think I would. If you've never checked it out, definitely, definitely go look up some stuff from her. And yeah. genuine person too. I'd, I'd say watching a couple interviews with oh, Lannis as well, uh, you get to know her personality. She's yeah. a, she's definitely a, a good to listen to. She's got a podcast somewhere, so, so I've heard a, a, a self help podcast. Check that out. Maybe yeah, we can which link makes that. Sense for her and, uh, yeah, um, yeah, and she's as far as the interviews go, she's definitely opened up more about her early life uh, and her, her early career before uh, more she's gone on. I mean, she's tried to, she's really, and I think she's done a fantastic job distancing herself from the first two records. But yeah, mm-hmm. um, yeah, she she does seem like a very nice person, and I hope for the best of luck on on, on her on her tour. Please lower the prices, you stingy bastard. <laughs> all right, want to talk about these stupid Rock Hall nominations real quick? Okay. Ow. Right, we, all right, we're going we're gonna to close um, with one more topical topic. Uh, just talking about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductees of this year, because um, we all got some opinions about it. Yeah. So uh, you want to start us off, uh, Ben? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm just going to kind of, so let's think. Um, it's bullshit that Judas Priest isn't in. Absolutely, I, I want to see the MC5 in, but I don't really know if they deserve it. I'm glad T Rex is in. Uh, th- those are my opinions. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, just to slide through, um, I'm one of those people that truly just believe it's not a rock and roll hall of fame; it's a music hall of fame. So I am totally on top of Biggie getting in. Uh, yeah. He is a, a influential artist to end them all. Um, aside from that, don't agree on the Doobie Brothers. Um, I don't think that's worth it. I, I am not a Nine Inch Nails fan myself, but I can see why they're in there. No, Going to check out some T-Rex because I've never actually listened to it, but I, I, if Ben recommends it, I'm sure it's good. Um, and, yeah, that's my snap take on it. Uh, Judas Priest got gypped. I'm sorry, Andrew. Yes, as everyone knows, Juice Priest is one of my favorite bands. So the fact that they didn't get nominated is ridiculous. The fact that Iron Maiden was even part of the nomination this is honestly ridiculous. Yeah. Like, metal is snubbed so much. Like, Completely. I mean, like, Nine Inch Nails, I mean, if you want to call that metal, sure, right. I guess now there's three, because besides Nine Inch Nails, there's only Metallica and, and Black, Black Sabbath. Sabbath. It's yeah. ridiculous. Black Sabbath. I mean, they're just a hard rock band, really, unless I mean, you're looking at Dio If you're comparing stuff. it to, like, modern metal, yeah. Yeah, and it's just, like... I mean, like for me, like mo- both Priest and Motorhead, Thin Lizzy, they all they, they should Thin Lizzy belongs in there way more than the goddamn Doobie Brothers. Um, <laughs> just I, and Soundgarden was snubbed again too. That and that was ridiculous. Um, I mean, the the one the one band I'm actually really happy it's in here that was nominated was 
Nine Inch Nails. I, I I'm not like a super fan like a lot of other people are with Nine Inch Nails work, but I, I do I do enjoy Nine Inch Nails because they were actually the band that really made me realize oh electronic effects aren't complete bullshit because mm-hmm. before I was essentially a total boomer who was like electronic and computer noises aren't music right. blah 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 and like no but downward spiral the downward spiral completely changed my mind in that so mm-hmm. I think they belong in there I can't say much can't speak much into Pesh mode because. I don't know their music very well, but I, I'm not against it. Uh, Whitney Houston, it's not, it's, she's talented, but whatever. T-Rex, I don't know much about either to really make a comment. Doris B.I.G., He would if, if they rebranded this to a music hall of fame, I would be okay with it. But yeah. as a rock hall of fame, that's a bit weird. But the Doobie Brothers. No. They are the personification of boring 70s rock. The <laughs> only uh, – America, the band America belongs near more than the Doobie Brothers because at least they actually had some interesting songs every now and again. The yeah, Doobie America Brothers have one decent song, China Grove, and that's it. The only argument for them to even be in here is the commercial success. And when that, when you're just just basing it off of that, you're really pushing it. And, like, they, beyond the 70s, who cared about the Doobie Brothers beyond the 70s? I can't think of anyone who would – he would sit there and like, no, those Doobie Brothers, they really inspired me to make music. I can't think of anyone. <laughs> yeah. So the fact that we're like, Dave I think the Matthews most popular band. fan vote too, I mean, Rock Hall's bullshit anyway. So. <laughs> yeah, I would never want to meet a big Doobie Brothers fan. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, would we like to go into our weekly recommendations yes. starting off this season with some yes. good ones, hopefully. Please, one of you start. I don't want to okay. talk too much I'll, in this I'll start. Um, over winter break, um, I had a lot of chances to discover some new music um, through my pizza delivery job, just cranking up tunes in the car. Mm-hmm. And uh, I actually discovered a lot of black metal over um, over the Ooh. break, and I, it's something I've always wanted to get into since we did that black, episode, black metal episode with Brent. Um, and I wanted to get away from the second wave that we did explore, kind of from um, you know Northern Europe, and try to see if there's some American black metal that is uh, legitimate and can stand the test of time. Um, that's not part of the black gay scene like Death Haven. Um, and I discovered the band Liturgy with their new album that got released last year, H A Q Q, transcendental black metal. Um, definitely give this album a listen. It's What's it called again. Sorry. H-A-Q-Q. It's an acronym that I don't know what stands for. But um, the main uh, contributor to this project, um, his name is... One second. Um, Hunter Hunt Hendricks. Yeah, H-H-H. Um, Triple H, yeah, the game. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, vocalist and guitarist for this project um, has been putting out consistently been putting out black metal projects for a while now and each one that I've listened to blows me away and this one is a great example of that you're going to hear things like string arrangements harps in a black metal metal tune you're going to hear hear choral vocals you're going to you're going to it's an intense listen it really is and it's going to take you a couple times in order to uh kind of digest what you're actually hearing um but you you get these black metal compositions and then you get these sort of piano palette cleansers in between them um it's definitely something i recommend everybody check out it's um it, it was it if i was to f- discover this last year it would have made probably um a number one or two spot on my uh top albums of 2019 wow. yeah wow. 
very yeah. very good stuff maybe yeah. maybe like three to five but definitely okay. in that top five for sure uh, is Check there a specific uh song you want me to play for everyone um yeah go ahead and play god of love um, god of love what from the start uh why don't you skip in like three minutes into the track Michael just played me a clip of that, and that sounds like organized chaos. And I like organized chaos, <laughs> so amazing. I'll check it out. Cool. Okay, I would like to recommend something maybe a little more palatable for some of our less adventurous <laughs> listeners. Um, this this is the album Uppers and Downers by a project uh, called Gold Star. This came out in 2018, and it was something I knew a few songs from, but I hadn't delved into it until this year. It's uh, an Austrian-born singer-songwriter um, named Marlon Rabenreiter. Um, and it's just a really good singer-songwriter album. Lots of organic instruments, lots of acoustic guitar, lots of piano, but mic'd and recorded in the way that it would have been recorded in the 70s. So you're getting a lot of softer picking on acoustic guitars and stuff like that. Uh, really good use of, of organ as well, which I tend to shy away from, especially in my own recording. Um, but the songwriting is really, really there. He sounds really injured in a lot of these songs. Uh, I'm going to have you play uh, Half the Time. Uh, it's just, it's a, it's a really atmospheric late night. Listen. I trip up through his sad streets to get high up in a stay at the sun. If people get up tired and mean, I take my beetle boots and live on the run. It's three hundred dollars to get me up. It's three hundred more just to play. I don't have much use for the money, but. When you say that, it sounds like in so much pain. That actually reminds me of something. Something I might have to request in a later time. I don't want to talk too much about it, but um, reminds me of John Frusciante's album he did, like after he left the Chili Peppers for the first time, in, like mm-hmm. the mid '90s. If you want to talk about just depressing and something like, wow, I don't even know why I should be listening to this. Like, <laughs> that's a real. I don't know if you've ever. No, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. But I don't. Um, I'll I'll show it to you guys after. But yeah, uh, the thing that I want to recommend is just kind of dumb and silly because I guess that's the mood I'm in. <laughs> Uh, I want to recommend, almost solely based on the awesome band name. Um, this is a punk band. I don't know where they're from. Uh, I think they've recently went on hiatus, which is unfortunate because they're actually pretty decent. Uh, they're called Ellen and the Degenerates. Quite frankly, <laughs> yeah. I can't think of a better band. You you put out a tweet about this. I think. Yeah, because I was like so amused by the band name, and I actually think they're pretty awesome too. Like, they're, they're not reinventing the wheel. It's just a punk band, but they're a really solid punk band. I mean, like the 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 lead singer, she's actually pretty. Um, she's got this cool like kind of like swagger and like um, 
really good like charisma to, to her delivery and i think it's really cool mm-hmm. and just the just the, just the emphaticism of of these songs are really good um there's actually is a song in here called ellen 2020 although i hardly <laughs> doubt they're actually endorsing that because yeah. i sure they wouldn't hanging out with george bush you prick anyways um <laughs> a song that i would like to play i'm gonna play um netflix and kill because <laughs> i like it hey <laughs> Their, 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 their naming shit is on point here, I gotta right, say. So, I'm into it. Uh, I'll just play from the start. Yeah, that's a band I came across the other day, just, just doing some like I don't know, like Spotify rabbit hole digging, and mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, I like funk, so I just recommended it. Yeah. It's really nothing more. Like sometimes it's it's not a lot to say about a recommendation. Just like I think they're really solid, and I think of you course. should all go check them out. Anyways, this far episode's already been too long. Please, Michael, introduce what we'll be talking about next week, because I know oh, you're really excited about I it. I am. I'm so excited for this. This is something I've been wanting to do for a long time. We're going to do a deep dive exploration of the musical rainbow that is King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard, that Australian band that you've been hearing so much about. Um, ben and I are huge fans. Andrew had some time to do some deep diving over break. It's going to be a good one. It's going to be a hefty one. I'm excited for it, and uh, we'll see you next week. Good, good night, night, Detroit. Detroit. It's like- Just